Hello, welcome to Atari Bytes, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game and see if that story bites us back. My name is Bill, this is episode 159. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody. As I am recording this, it is, in America, Super Bowl Sunday! The rest of the world, it's just Sunday. And a lot of you are probably saying, who gives a crap about the Super Bowl, even though America would tell you that the Super Bowl is the world championship. Except it's not, because it's only American football teams playing. So it's really the American championship. But no bother, it's the Super Bowl! I probably owe whoever owns the Super Bowl uh, a lot of money right now, because I've said Super Bowl a bunch of times, and there's some weird intellectual property thing where you're not supposed to say Super Bowl, except everybody does. So here I am again, flagrantly flouting the rules. That's what I do. I'm a podcaster. Hope all is well with you. We here in the Midwest have survived polar vortex uh, getting, snorma, storma, getting, polar, storma, snowy, getting. We, we got a lot of snow and cold is what I'm saying. Kids were out of school. Let's see. This past week, they started late on Monday, but then they went the rest of the day. They were out of school completely, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Uh, by the way, that was a late start on Monday after being out of school the Friday before that. Late start on Monday, out completely, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Late start on Friday. Yeah. And snow uh, in between that, that weekend before. Which was uh, a bummer because I went and saw the Laurel Hardy movie, the Stan and Ollie movie, and then had to drive home in the snow. I talked about that last week. I am sick of shelving snow. I am sick of cold. The upside is this weekend, it's you know been up in the uh, 30s. Uh, it might even have even hit 40. My dog is happy. Bug is happy because now she has more room outside to poop. Because as it was, uh, it was really cold and there was lots of snow and she's just a little dog. So she had sort of carved out like a, like a four-foot area where she would do her stuff. That was her barking, if they might pick that up. Bug, chill out. She's woofing. I don't know if she's woofing at me or if she's woofing at some evil lurking out the window. She's laying in the big window. Anyway, so we all survived. I hope you all survived with minimal troubles with car batteries and furnaces and all that stuff. So here we are doing another podcast. And how do we like to start our podcast every week? With this guy. Gonna prove that the world is flat in his rocket ship. Or else he'll go splat. He's Mad Mike Hughes. Mad Mike Hughes. And every week we check in with Mad Mike Hughes. He of the limo driving ex race car driver gonna build a rocket in my backyard with funding from flat earthers to uh, launch myself into space, take some photos of the earth and prove or disprove that the Earth is flat. Um, mostly what he's been doing the last six months or so is promoting his personal appearances and movies and a really awful biography that I'm still mad that I shelled out $4 for, his bunny toy that's supposed to be coming. And, uh, and that's about all he's been doing. Uh, on Facebook this past week, he ain't been doing nothing because last time he posted something was the 14th of January. So he's gone back into seclusion. He was in seclusion, meaning he wasn't really posting anything on Facebook for over a month. 
Uh, nothing on the website. Nothing really comes up in a Google search. Google. It's kind of a hard word to say. And I'm not drunk, I promise. I know it's Super Bowl Sunday, but it's pretty early in the day still, so uh, no drinking here. Google is just a fun word to say. All right, well, uh, nothing to say about Mad Mike, I guess. I, I suppose just uh, keep your heads up to the sky looking for uh, crazy men and rockets, since supposedly that's going to happen. Actually, I think I saw in one of these posts, I'd have to go back and look, that there's a tentative plan to launch in March. I may be dreaming that. I don't know. But we will keep on this story for God knows what reason. All right, let's close it up. Gonna prove that the world is flat in his rocket ship. Or else he'll go splat He's Mad Mike Hughes Mad Mike Hughes Got some feedback this week. I do like feedback. We heard from friend of the show, Sean Courtney. Hi, Sean. He had thoughts about the Dodgem episode. The problem with my production schedule is sometimes when, you know, the timing when feedback comes in versus when I have to record these episodes in the hopes of having time to edit them and get them out, um, I'm not always able to get the feedback into the episode immediately following the episode that the feedback is referring to, if that made any sense at all. So he's actually talking about uh, the Dodgem episode and uh, has some thoughts about Dodgem versus uh, the game Head On from uh, 1979. So here's what Sean had to say. Sean writes, I personally have never encountered a Head On machine, but when the Kroger store where I lived as a lad started putting arcade games near the entrance, I remember the first two I saw there were Crazy Kong and a two-in-one that had a pair of Sega titles, Deep Scan and Head-On 2. I want to pause a minute here from Sean's email and ask, Crazy Kong? Is that a, a rip-off or an inspiration for Donkey Kong? Uh, I, I would have to think it would be. Now I want somebody to write to me and explain to me about Crazy Kong. But anyway, that's not the topic today. Uh, back to Sean's email. Deep Scan was a submarine and torpedo game that was basically a color version of Depth Charge. I played that a few times. Head-on 2 I never did play, but I did see the Attract mode. My first reaction was, this looks a lot like Dodge'em. The original head-on basically is identical to Dodge'em. There was a head-on clone in the arcades called Chase, and in fact, next time you find yourself in the Chicago area, you can play Chase a Galloping Ghost. Parenthetical here. If you listen to Pie Factory, and I know a lot of you do, um, Sean and Jim talk about Galloping Ghost all the time. Uh, and also, I think, uh, Twin Galaxies is uh, the other arcade they talked about a lot. I would love to get to Galloping Ghost at some point. Uh, I don't really ever go to Chicago. Um, no particular reason. And when we do, like I said, it's been a long time. It tends to be like to go to the Brookfield Zoo or the Brookfield Zoo trying to remember what else we've done in Chicago with the kids. You know, basically we don't go into Chicago, typically. Um, although we did. We went to um, a charity race, a 5K race. We went to town to do a 5K charity walk for food allergies a couple of times. But otherwise, we don't really go into town all that much. But I would be happy to find a time, find a way to get to a Galloping Ghost at some point. Anyway, again, that's not the topic today. So, as I said, Sean wrote, The original head-on is basically identical to Dodge'em. There was a head-on clone in the arcades called Chase, and in fact, next time you find yourself in the Chicago area, you can play Chase at Galloping Ghost. I know that for a while, Sega had a huge problem with American companies making knockoffs 
of its games and the knockoffs selling a lot more than the originals because for a time Sega did not have a US presence and ergo it was a lot cheaper for arcade operators to get the knockoffs than to pay for shipping from Japan. Now back to the Sega Arcade 2 for head-on 2 was basically head-on slash chase slash dodge em, but with two ad additional straight-ahead horizontal lanes at the bottom of the screen. I think it was in color and the original head-on was black and white but I'm not 100% sure. Yeah, I could do a quick search and find out right away, but who has time? Well, Sean, I apparently am too lazy to do that too. Perhaps one of the other listeners can fill in that part of the story. Thanks for the email, Sean. Uh, as always, you're very helpful. I have never seen, that I can remember, any of these machines. Um, I've never, I never had a Sega growing up. Uh, is Sega still a player at all in video games? I, I, I don't even know anymore to the extent that I really did have a lot of knowledge about that uh, that knowledge has been lost to the the mists of time for me uh, so I, I'm not sure about that uh, I've never seen any of these games in an arcade that I can remember uh, so it's nice when I hear from someone who has so thanks a lot Sean if you would like to email the show it's very easy ataribytes2016 at gmail.com is the way that you do that please do is there another way you can contact the show? Why, yes, there is. You can leave me a voicemail. And guess what? Somebody did that this week. Or last week, given what I just explained about my production schedule. Dave Champa, one of the co-hosts of Champa and Klein, conveniently, he happens to have the same name. What do you know? Champa and Klein, the Knight Rider years, left me an e a voicemail. Knight Rider years, for those of you who don't know, is a, a weekly podcast devoted to a combination of these two guys talking about their lives and being very funny and very entertaining, and then doing an episode-by-episode episode breakdown of the 1980s David Hasselhoff action show, Knight Rider. And most of you who are my age or younger, uh, who are probably in their 30s or 40s, probably remember Knight Rider, right? It's the show where Hasselhoff drives around in uh, a black Trans Am that talks and drives itself, saving the world from crime, I, I guess. Some of the episodes is a little unclear what he's doing, but it's always fun to watch. And you can you can see a car drive itself thirty years before that was even thought to be ever possible. Champ and Klein are really funny. They're they're really entertaining. I encourage you to check out Champ and Klein, the Night Rider years, and Dave Champa. I'm very happy to say had some thoughts, and he left a voicemail. Here is that voicemail. Bill, buddy, this is Dave Champa calling from the Night Rider Years podcast. So I actually I, I had a I had a question that I think is uh, very pertinent to um, to your show uh, involving involving Devin Miles and Michael Knight. So if Devin and Michael were playing ET, so about that this would have been about the time that ET had come out, 1983. So if Devin and Michael were both playing ET on an Atari. Do you think that E.T. would have bombed, thus creating the great video game crash of 1983? Do you think that if Devin and Michael were playing together on Knight Rider, the show, because of the big hit that it was, do you think E.T. would have taken off and become a smash hit, much like the television show? Anyway, that's my question. Keep up the great work on the show, Bill. Really appreciate everything you're doing, and we look forward to having you on our show as well at some point in the near future. Talk to you later. Okay, so Dave, your question is, could Knight Rider have saved 
have averted the video game crash of 83. Now, I'm going to start by saying I am not an expert on the history of video games. I have picked up a fair amount of knowledge, but in sort of a half-assed kind of way since I've been doing this podcast. So I am not the guy to ask about this, probably, to be quite honest. But here's what I've kind of gleaned. Like everybody else, I always uh, sort of assumed that the video game crash was attributed to E.T. being such a horribly received game. What I've heard clearly, and and I've played the game myself, is it's not a great game. And people were really angry about that, because it was E.T. for goodness sakes. Everybody loves E.T. Yay, he's got a video game. And oh, this game isn't all that much fun. Grr, I'm never playing video games again. And then they burned down Atari, or something. I may be imagining that last part. And the whole thing about burying the, the video cartridges in the uh, New Mexico desert and all that stuff. But here's the thing. What, what I've kind of heard over time is, first of all, the game is pretty good for the production limitations that Howard Scott Warshaw, the, uh, the designer of the game, the creator of the game, had. He was given an extremely limited amount of time, like six weeks or something, from start to finish, to produce this game. And so it looks like a game that has a lot more potential than he actually had time to realize, uh, to, to bring to life. The other thing is that, yeah, it was a bad game, but it sold a lot of cartridges. So people who study this stuff probably will tell you the video game crash really wasn't because of E.T. specifically. It was a combination of factors that I am not an expert to go into. But having said that, it's an interesting question. If you had... Around 83, when Knight Rider was still on, I think what Knight Rider was 81 to 85 or 82 to 86 or something. So right in there in the middle of sort of the, the peak and the fall, the crash of Atari, if they had inserted a scene of Michael Knight, of course the hero of the show, Hasselhoff, playing this game with Devin Miles, who for those of you who don't know is sort of the older... English gentleman with sort of a mysterious past of his own, but he's sort of Michael Knight's boss. Uh, The two of them sat down and played this video game. The problem I have with this scenario is I can totally see Michael Knight playing this game. Uh, In fact, there's some precedent for that. In an early episode of Knight Rider, once he's figured out that the car can drive itself and he doesn't really have to do anything, there's a shot of him playing a video game on the on like the little computer screen on the dashboard. It bugs me because the shot is clearly in television auto racing. I have the game. I have well I have the Sears Telegames version I guess. But that's clearly what it is. But it looks like although it's hard to see, it looks like he's using a, an Atari, you know, CX forty, sort of the standard joystick. And clearly that wouldn't be. So it bothers me a little. But the point is there's precedent for video games of that era being on the show. And I think there might be another scene Later, where we see a, a video game on, a, on Kit, that's the name of the car, Kit, Night Industries 2000. Uh, another video game on that screen, but I don't remember for sure. So it's certainly plausible that we would get a shot of E.T. in the show, and, and I, but I don't see Devin doing it. I see maybe Michael and Bonnie playing this game. Bonnie would be amused by the, by the uh, rudimentary, relatively rudimentary computer graphics compared to what she could probably come up with if she you know, lowered herself to waste her time on video games. So I could see her and Michael going at it with a computer game. But for all the reasons I said before, the video game crash really wasn't because of E.T. I don't think even Michael Knight, the Hoff himself, 
could have saved Atari. I know it's probably bad news, maybe not what you want to hear, but uh, you know, I, I think the I think the Atari crash, the video game crash, was just sort of inevitable. But I think, Dave, it's all the more important for us to to learn from history, to to grow as a video game playing species, and to never ever let our video games crash again, unless it's a racing game in which you're supposed to crash, and then it's okay. This probably doesn't answer your question, Dave, but uh, I am uh, psyched. I am thrilled that you called. Uh, if other people want to call, they should do that. Or if Dave wants to call again, uh, he should do that. And he can do that, and anyone else can do that, by calling 563-265-1978 and leaving me a voicemail, and I will play it on the show. I don't know that I'm giving anything away here. Uh, there are talks in the works that, uh, you know, those of you who go over to the Night Rider years and check out the show, which, as I said, you should. I think as I'm recording this, as this episode is going out, I think they are finishing up season one. Season two of their reviews will be starting soon. That's a great time to get on board. Uh, new seasons of TV shows always mean, you know, new new life, new changes, that kind of thing. Good time to jump into the show uh, with these guys. And there are talks in the works that, uh, you know, you might just hear me pop up on an episode at some point. And that'll be cool if, if and when that happens. I think it probably will. And, uh, and you know what? Uh, you know, maybe, maybe the guys will come over to this show sometime um, and, uh, and see what happens over here. Big changes in the future. Change is good. Video games are good. Knight Rider is good. I really don't know how to get out of this segment. So I will just do a, a hard transition to news. Let's do that. I read news. You can play the Atari 2600 in emulation on the center console screen of your Tesla. Speaking of playing computer games on a computer screen in your car's dashboard, you can do that in 2019. Just like you could do it, pretend, in 1981. Here's where I go looking for that article. Talk amongst yourselves. I'd like an Atari 2600 system, please, and everything that goes with it. Everything. You sure want everything? I want everything. Now you get a new low price, up to $30 a rebate office, and a free package. Is that everything? It's not everything. You can get nearly 300 different copies. 300. That's nothing. Something. But it's not everything. Soon there'll be a voice module, trackball, remote control joysticks, and a computer keyboard. It's amazing. It's amazing, but it's not everything. It's not everything. Soon there'll be educational games, too. Is that everything? That's everything. For now. For now. The Atari 2600. Now get up to $30 in rebate offers, plus a free Pac-Man. So the, there were a lot of articles about this. The one I'm looking at is from CNET.com by Kyle Hyatt, January 28, 19, or 2019. Uh, it begins, Tesla owners love Easter eggs, and one of the more popular ones to come out featured the ability to play Atari games on your vehicle's center screen. A car's controls, even a touchscreen, aren't necessarily ideal for gaming, so the folks from Tesla figured out a way to rig up both an Xbox controller and, and this is very cool, an original Atari 2600 controller to a Model 3 in a video released on Monday. So they had a couple guys from, actually it was Tested, some organization called Tested, figured out how to do this with the controllers. They put the uh, the emulator through its paces, and apparently they are pretty impressed. They played uh, Asteroids, they played Pole Position. What else did they play? Maybe it was just two, those two games? I'm not sure. But apparently they liked how it worked. Some of the integrations with the Tesla's controls are better than others. For example, maneuvering and firing an asteroid seemed more difficult with the steering wheel, while the steering wheel and brake pedal controls on pole, pole position were a natural fit. Oh, okay, so basically, what, apparently, normally you would play these with the actual car steering wheel? I don't quite understand that. 
But evidently it's possible. Any of you out there who have a Tesla, which I would love to have, being the environmentally conscious human that I am, but uh, I don't have the cash. But if any of you do and you've tried the video game emulator on the Tesla, please let me know. You can imagine yourself to be Michael Knight speeding down the road, uh, down the road in kit as you head off to, um, I don't know, save some ranchers from other ranchers or save Slammin' Sammy's stunt show spectacular or um, save some nerdy computer programmer. All things that you can do, all things that they've done on Knight Rider, and you would know that if you were listening to Champion Klein the Knight Rider years. Um, side note to Champion Klein, you owe me a lot of money for doing all these promos. What other news do we have? ScienceDaily.com had an article headlined, Atari Master, New AI Smashes Google Deep Mind in Video Game Co- Challenge. A new breed of algorithm, algorithms has mastered Atari video games 10 times faster than state-of-the-art AI with a breakthrough approach to problem solving. In a 2015 study, Google DeepMind AI learned to play video games, Atari games like video pinball to human level, but failed to learn a path to the first key in 1980's video game Montezuma's Revenge due to the game's complexity. So now, now M- RMIT University in Melbourne, Australia came up with a method for computers to autonomously play Montezuma's Revenge, learn from mistakes, and identify sub-goals ten times faster than Google's DeepMind to finish the game. Professor Fabio Zambetta was quoted as saying, Truly intelligent AI needs to be able to learn to complete tasks autonomously in ambiguous environments. Our results show that how much closer we're getting to autonomous AI and should be a key line of inquiry if we want to keep making substantial progress in this field. Not only did our algorithms autonomously identify relevant tasks 10 times faster than Google DeepMind while playing Montezuma's Revenge, they also exhibited relatively human-like behavior while doing so. For example, before you get to the second screen of the game, you need to identify subtasks such as climbing ladders, jumping over an enemy, and then finally picking up a key, roughly in that order. This would eventually happen randomly after a huge amount of time, but to happen so naturally in our testing shows some sort of intent. Alright, so what all this tells me is that Montezuma is really going to get revenge on humanity because the computers are going to rise up and enslave us all. And, hey, Atari console, stop looking at me like that. It's creepy. Anyway, on with the show. All right. Well, before I'm enslaved by my DVD player, let's get on with the rest of the show. This week's game is Entombed by U.S. Games, 1982. It's a pretty straightforward game. Entombed is a one- or two-player game, full-color, designed to be played on the Atari video computer system, or the series Video Arcade, which is good, because that's what I have. You and your team of archaeologists have fallen into the catacombs of the zombies. So, really, when you go in there, you shouldn't be surprised by what you find, because they call the damn thing Catacomb of the Zombies. There's no time to look around, these guys are after you, and they mean business. Your only salvation is that you have discovered the secret to the make-break. Grab them and you can break through walls when you get stuck, or create a wall behind you if you are being chased. The longer you survive, the faster you have to move. You can explore alone, or two archaeologists can work together or complete or compete in a frenzied trek through the catacombs. Uh, and then we get a screenshot for everyone in the back. You might have to squint a little bit. There you go. It's sort of a long-range view of an adventure labyrinth. This is kind of what it looks like. The make-break is a moving vertical blip. The archaeologist is a humanoid figure. The zombie is a blue humanoid figure. There are uh, the, the number of make breaks that you have is displayed at the lower left of the screen, and the scores at the lower right. We're going to use the joystick for this one. 
difficulty switches. Position A, you get two make breaks for each blinking block touched. Position B, you get three make breaks for each blinking block. Move your joystick in either of the four directions you want to move. To make, a break, to make or break a wall section, push the fire button while moving in the direction you want make break to occur. Game 1 is single player, game 2 is two player. That's pretty obvious. You get three archaeologists, indicated by squares at the upper right or left of the screen. You lose an archaeologist by being scrolled off the top of the screen or being touched by a zombie. Oh man, that was my favorite CBS TV show back in the 90s. Touched by a zombie. Anyway, in the single player game, your score is based on how many sections of the maze you have successfully traveled through. This is the number showing at the lower right of the screen. There are five sections to each maze, after which you float into the next one. In the single player game, there is no scoring. Sorry, in the two player game, there is no scoring. Just hot and furious competition. Oh yeah, I like my competition hot and furious. Anyway, the survivor wins. You may choose to play cooperatively and help each other through, thr- uh, help each other through, and see how fast you can both get. This would be established by the color of the last maze you are in. Hints: You get only one make break to start out. Use it wisely. The early mazes scroll slowly, so you don't have to rush to the bottom of the screen. It's better to hold back near the top of the screen so you can determine the positions of both the make break and the zombie. When the make break appears, be sure you can get to it by using only one, or hopefully none, make break. I had a hard time with this sort of scoping things out thing because I I went down a lot of dead alleys, so that's probably not a bad hint. If you're low on make breaks, keep aware of how close you are to a maze change. Maze change. Right hand number indicates maze increments. Five in each colored maze. You may be able to get to the next make without using a make break. When the zombie warning starts sounding, quickly check the screen for his position and color. If I'm the archaeologist on this little adventure, I think I would want to start asking questions about who's sounding off the zombie alarm, right? It it seemingly is just you down in this maze with this zombie running around, but somebody's setting off the alarm. Who's that? I want to go talk to that guy. Anyway, so the color of the zombie, I guess indicates his method of moving through the maze. If he's blue and remains so, he can only move through the channels of the maze. If he appears blue and then suddenly changes to orange, he can move through the walls to get you. The secret to avoiding his clammy, deadly grip is to move beyond, uh, move below him as soon as possible. Better be a surviving coward than a brave idiot. When you have advanced to the faster scrolling mazes, you must be ready between maze changes or after losing a player. Hold the joystick down or back, to get a jump on the quickly moving maze. Otherwise, before you know it, you'll be entombed. The two-player strategy can be either competitive or cooperative. The cooperative method is for nice guys. Me, 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 me. Here you help each other out in tight spots by opening a passageway for your partner. The competitive method is for the deceiving, nasty, or otherwise typical game player who wants to win. Playing nasty in the game, in the name of the game entails taking advantage of your opponent's breaks, trapping him in the maze by blocking his path when he has to has no mate breaks left, and just by being downright mean by beating him to all the make breaks. Whichever game variation you like to play, your cleverness, adeptness at control, and foresight will mate or break you. Alright, and that is how you play Make Break. Sorry. That is how you play Entombed. I think Make Break would be a much better name for this game. Although I don't think Make Break is a particularly good name for the weapon, I can totally see Make Break on the front of a cartridge. I can totally imagine that. Entombed was designed by Tom Sloper, programmed by Paul Allen Newell, released in 82, as I said. Newell also programmed Towering Inferno for U.S. games, which we've done on the show. And I remember kind of liking that game. And, you know, spoiler, I don't hate this game either, although I'm not in love with it. 
Who else is not in love with it? The reviewer at platoscavern.com. They say, it's not a half-bad premise, this game, but the execution is all kinds of fail. The game ends up being about cheap deaths as you constantly start down a dead-end path and can't double back, or have a scorpion, I don't remember the scorpions, suddenly jump out and facepawn you. Facepawn you? Is that a thing? Anyway, I guess the idea is to memorize the entire maze eventually through trial and error, but who wants to be bothered with that? Fair enough. I thought it was kind of they were kind of cheap deaths too, uh, so I guess I agree with this guy to that extent. But I maybe don't hate the game quite as much as he does. All right. Well, after the break, zombie waiting to tell you all a story. Where did I leave my phone? Come on, I know I put it on the yellow shelf, right over here in this yellow tunnel, and... Oh, damn it! They're all yellow! It's gotta be around here somewhere. Wait, someone's coming. Hey, buddy, do you have my phone? Oh. Oh, no! Alright, we're in the entombed tomb. The room is moving. I don't know what's up with that. Oh no, the zombie's coming. Oh no, I got squished because that was a dead tunnel. Blind tunnel. Whatever. And I ran out of room. Here I go again. I like this little guy. The maze itself is pretty nondescript. But the little guy looks pretty good. Although he looks like he's falling when he's running. But whatever. Oh no, zombie! I didn't get my little magical wall thingy. But he's not moving anyway, so it's okay. Oh no! I'm gonna die again because I couldn't go through that tunnel. Dang it! Ooh, I put up a wall. I didn't mean to do that. I wasted a wall! Remember kids, don't waste your walls. I want to put up a wall on a zombie. Oh crap. Ooh, ouch. That was the game, not my intestines. Let's try that again. That felt kind of cheap. I want to put up a wall in a zombie. That's all I want out of life right now. Yes, I z- Hey, he went through my zombie wall. What the hell? Let's go touch that moving wall thingy. Well, it's not going to do me any good now because I'm dead. Haha! I walled you, zombie, except I'm dead. I took you with me, jerk. That's the key to life, kids. If you're going to die, take someone with you. I spent too much time thinking about revenge that I exploded. That's today's other life lesson, kids. Don't explode. All right. Back to you in the studio. Hey, Atari fans. This is Michael, one of the hosts of the Atari XEGS Cart by Cart podcast. Join Bill, David, Kieran, and myself as we review cartridge-based games for the Atari's last answer to the 8-bit gaming system, as well as delve deep into their history. Kieran will also introduce everyone to the UK's budget games. You can listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Player FM, or from our website at xegs8bit.com. That's xegs, the number 8, bit.com. 
So here's the thing about Entombed. I already kind of said this. I don't hate it, but you know, I was looking at this game and playing a little bit, and I thought, yeah, it's actually kind of boring, but I don't hate it. Uh, I do think they are cheap deaths. Uh, this maze moves really fast, and it's really easy. I, I know the hint about hang out the top of the screen and see how the maze kind of plays out, but you don't have time to do that. Uh, you just got to move, otherwise you're going to get squished. And if you go down a dead end, you're going to get squished anyway. So I guess it's, you know, you're dead either way. So I didn't like that. I think there should be more zombies. There's just the one. So it's mostly just you going through a maze a lot of the time. Maybe the game picks up a little bit more as you progress. I only played it a little bit this morning, getting ready to record. So, uh, I don't know. But at the same time, I think it has potential. I, I think it could be something one day. Come on, Entombed. Keep working. You could be a big boy game someday. But it's not right now. All right. Well... Let's get on to this week's story. It's story time. It's story time on Atari Bites. Yes, it's story. Story, story, story time. With Bill. This week's story is titled wall-eyed. The raindrops spattering on the office window provided a convenient distraction from Dr. Carpala's question. Roger, Dr. Carpala said, did you hear me? Roger Lipton, archaeologist, wished he could entomb himself in the cushions of his psychiatrist's couch. I said, Dr. Carpala pressed, do you think you put up walls between yourself and others? Lipton squirmed and chuckled a little. Of course I do. It's what I do. It was raining that other day, too, the day Lipton doesn't like to talk about, the day Dr. Carpala won't stop asking about. They say extreme situations can make, make people fall in love. Well, that's what Lipton told Annette once the dust settled in the catacombs. Lipton had always scoffed at the notion of archaeology being like a video game, but this expedition to find the lost catacombs of Z, whatever Z was, had been quite an adventure. Through the chaos, though, there was her, Annette, the woman who made all this worthwhile. The two souls joined instantly, bodies, too, for Annette was quite a hugger. She tousled his hair affectionately. But then, abruptly, it was over. Annette, don't shut me out, Lipton pleaded. Annette remained silent. Perhaps some men could coldly treat you as a specimen, a thing to be catalogued and studied. But Annette, my passion for you rivals even that of my work. I can't wall off one from the other. I must have you both. Can't you understand? Annette looked away, still silent. My heart is breaking, Annette. Would that I could live only by passion. Remove this cursed brain from my head. This seemed to get Annette's attention. She paused, but Lipton was frozen in place, torn by his own conflicting desires. She slowly shuffled away. Out of necessity for his own sanity... Lipton's mind quickly erected a barrier between heart and brain. But then, many weeks later, as Lipton catalogued some specimens in his study, the front door of his flat burst open and his one true love, after archaeology, Annette, stood before him. The steel barrier between Lipton's heart and brain rusted away in joyful tears. Their lovemaking was brutally intense and, honestly, quick. Still, Annette seemed nearly to fall to pieces in Lipton's arms. Lipton decided then and there that he could be a man of science and a lover. But soon the walls started coming back. 
Also, neighborhood pets started disappearing. Annette would not even speak to Lipton. Dinners were silent affairs. She seemed to have no interest in food, always leaving her plates untouched. "'What's the matter, my love?' he asked, but Annette just stared into space. Lipton's trusted housekeeper stopped coming to work, but, oddly, left her car in the driveway until Lipton had it towed. Annette? Well, she was not the tidiest person, to be honest, and left ragged bits of clothing everywhere. It frustrated the obsessively neat Lipton. Their relationship wasn't all bad, though. Annette still laughed at his jokes. A hoarse, dry laugh, but still. And Annette was an aggressive lover, passionately nibbling his face as they went at it. But over time, even this was not enough. Lipton wanted a life partner, not a bed partner. One day he finally said, Dearest, I'm going out. Then he erected a wall between Annette and himself and drove straight to Dr. Carpala's office. It was she who suggested Annette should join them for couples therapy. Annette was not fond of riding in the car, clawed at the roof and windows, but sat quietly during the session, eyeing Dr. Carpala intently. Dr. Carpala removed her glasses and took Lipton's hand, smiling sadly. Roger, she said, I think it's time for you to face a simple truth. What do you mean, doctor? He searched the faces of Annette and Carpala for some clarity. One was blank. The other was a little sad. Roger, Carpala said, patting his hand. Your girlfriend is a zombie. The devil, you say, Roger exclaimed. Whatever do you mean? In one fluid motion, Annette leapt on Carpala's back, wrenched the head from Carpala's spinal column, and sucked out the brains. Oh, Lipton said. And that's our show. My thanks to Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com for Creative Commons' use of his songs, Reformat, Pinball Spring, and Take a Chance. Thanks to Mike Mann for his Mad Mike Hughes theme. Thanks to Sean Courtney for the Storytime theme. Show notes are available at AtariBytes.Libson.com, along with episodes and social media and stuff. Go check it out. Email the show at AtariBytes2016 at gmail.com. Like the show on our Facebook page. Follow the show on Twitter at Atari Bytes, or follow me personally at Carnival of Glee. And, of course, there's occasional weirdness over there at the Atari Bytes Instagram page. And don't forget, you can call me now and leave a voicemail. Don't worry, when you call, you'll never, ever have to talk to me, because I'm not going to answer the phone. But you can leave a voicemail about any damn thing you want at 563-265-1978. Listen to Atari Bytes wherever fine podcasts are sold, distributed, or foisted upon you like so many flyers from politicians in an election year. But remember to scale that wall over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. Watch out for zombies. Also, you can support the show financially on our Patreon page or by picking up Atari Bytes merchandise at the still-existing Zazzle.com store. Zazzle.com store. AB underscore pod underscore store. And remember, I'm still looking for suggestions for new things to put in the store. Um, Stuff with witty sayings on it related to the show. Whatever you think you might like to see and whatever you think you would like to see that thing on. Whether it's shirts or mugs or we had for a brief time a suggestion floating around uh, panties. You know, whatever you think you would like to see in that store, let me know. And if you have time, go check out my other podcast. It's a podcast, Charlie Brown. New episodes of that show drop on the 15th every month. And you will be treated to a world of information about anything related to peanuts. 
the Charlie Brown and Snoopy Gang. The TV shows, the movies, the comic strip, obviously, the books, the mind of Charles Schultz himself. Uh, we cover anything and everything, even tangentially related to the Peanuts universe. We had a guy named uh, Jason Youngbluth who drew a graphic novel imagining, imagining the Peanuts kids as adults in a dystopian future, and that was fascinating. So we, we do. We do anything that even sort of kind of is related to Peanuts. And you all love Peanuts because it's Peanuts, for crying out loud. So go check out that podcast next time on Atari Bytes. Codebreaker. I'm a little nervous about this one because I have to use the uh, Atari keyboard controller thing, uh, which I have. I bought some off eBay, but I'm a little nervous about using them. Uh, I don't know why. I guess I'm not really nervous. But it's a new thing for the podcast, so I am excited to do that thing. And, uh, and you should be, exci- be excited to hear about that thing. Uh, if you have thoughts about Codebreaker, go ahead and send them to me now. And uh, I can try and insert those in next, ep- next week's episode. Or if you have thoughts about anything else, send those to me too. Alright. So until next time, go play some old games. They've missed you.